first Bible reading is on page 748 from the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, beginning at verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hepzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning's second reading comes from Luke's Gospel. It's chapter 2, verses 15 to 20. And it's uh, on page 1028 of the Church Bible and on the screen behind me, Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what, they'd been to- what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Picture the scene. You're walking down the precinct and uh, someone in church whom you know comes up to you and introduces you to a friend who is 
will say Chinese. The Chinese person speaks immaculate English, and uh, your friend in the church says, um, tell me, how would you describe what Christmas means in a very few words? What is Christmas all about? to a Chinese person whom we shall assume has no knowledge of Christianity whatsoever. Well, I've chosen four words this morning rather than just a dozen or two. Mind you, I shall use a dozen or two to talk about those four. The words I've chosen are the Word became flesh. Let's just pray a moment. Father God in heaven, as we talk about the coming of your Son to earth, help us to reverence your Word, to put our hearts into your hands, to learn from you, and to become the sort of Christians you want us to be. For his namesake, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Every year at the main Christmas service, and it took place here as well, we get the reading John 1, 1 to 14, the first 14 verses of John's Gospel, near the end of which has this phrase, the word became flesh. It goes on, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. It's the Christmas gospel. This simple yet profound statement tells us everything. It is both shockingly personal and wonderfully revealing. At the beginning of John 1, we found out exactly who this Word was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. <coughs> and that life was the light of men. God. There in the beginning, there at creation, the source of light, and that light was the life of men. And we read... The Word became flesh. The Word is now a person. God. A person living amongst us. At the start of his epistle, the same writer of the gospel, John had written this, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. 
we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. <coughs> Not just an idea, but a person. God lived here. As you walk around Portsmouth and all our major cities, you come across buildings, the outside of which there is a plaque. And I am preparing one for Charminster to put up after Wendy and I have moved out. I don't suppose many people will take a great deal of cognizance, but there you are. But no, not a plaque like some VIP of previous years, but a person whom men saw and heard and touched. Shockingly personal. I wonder how many of you watch the BBC television program called The One Show. Does anyone uh, sink that low? Oh yes, there are <laughs> a few people. Well, the last... Um, program of this year, Wendy and I were watching it, I have to do as I'm told, um, and they made a big Christmas scene of it, of course, and they brought on four children who had written a letter to Santa Claus. And they picked out these four children, I don't know who they were, and as a prize, they took them out of BBC House and into the next door building, which happens to be quite a big Anglican church in the middle of London. And they took them in there, and coincidentally, it was the evening, the 19th of December, of that church's choir carol concert. Huge congregation, lots of lights and decorations, a big orchestra and the organ and the choir, lots of people, lots of light. And they took these four children in, and one of the things they did was they introduced them to the rector of the church. And then the two who head up the program spoke to the rector, and they said, uh, what's your comments about Christmas? I felt it sounded a bit patronizing and a bit sort of what have you got, sort of thing. And the minister, who's a godly man, responded, well, it's rather like you coming to see us. You are our next-door neighbors. And incidentally, BBC House offers some of their rooms every Sunday morning for some of the Sunday school classes in that particular church. Next-door neighbors they are. It's rather like you coming as neighbors to see us here. God didn't stay in heaven as our neighbor at a distance, but came amongst us and was born of a baby, laid in a food trough, as our second reading put it. So they, that is the shepherds, hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Yes, this God became shockingly personal.
the word became flesh, is also wonderfully revealing. As I've quoted from 1 John, the apostles saw him, they talked with him, they listened to his teaching, they watched the miracles he did. They have recorded their evidence, which is why in the Bible it is so important for us to get to know the Word of God. John has told us that he made his dwelling among us, that is, he came from the Father full of grace and truth. Do you really want to know the truth about yourself? I remember once that question was posed when in a church in Lindfield while I was still a pilot with British Airways and the man who was preaching said, do you know what it would be like for the rest of the congregation if your ear became a loudspeaker And we could play back and read the thoughts you had before you were pious in church, before you came to church. Most of us, once those pious thoughts have, have, have gone away, would rather people did not know what we were thinking Paul, under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit, taught the Roman Christians that we are all sinners. If you put all the goodness together that there is in this church this morning, all the good deeds, you would still not get one person who was able to say, I have loved the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. All of us have failed what Jesus called the first commandment. And we certainly haven't loved our neighbors ourselves. And that's only the good side of our badness. That's why Jesus died as a common criminal outside Jerusalem 33 years later. The just for the unjust, God had said, the soul that sins will die. The truth is that every one of us has failed to keep God's standards. We are all sinners. But John had written that Jesus came not only full of truth, but also full of grace. How many of you have seen Les Miserables? A large number. A large number. Wendy and I went to see it in London. I had conducted the marriage of uh, Jean Valjean to his wife. Not on the stage, I hasten to add, but at a little village church in Wiltshire. So we got free tickets, which was very good because the first time I saw it, I didn't understand it at all. There's not much between here and here, as far as I'm concerned, I'm afraid. But the story is a wonderful story of grace. The background, of course, of the French Revolution. A convict, Jean Valjean, is released from a French prison after serving 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. And he turns up at a town of Dean, 
in France after leaving prison. And not surprisingly, no one there was willing to take him in because he was an ex-convict. So out of desperation, Valjean knocks on the door of the, the bishop, Muriel, Maestro Mr. Muriel, a kindly bishop. And the bishop takes him in for the night, treats Valjean with kindness, and Jean Valjean repays that kindness by pinching some of his silver and walking out. The next morning, the next major character in the play called Javert, who is the senior policeman in the local area, who's found Jean Valjean, marches him back to the bishop's house and with the bag, with the swag of the silver inside it, and says to the bishop, there, bishop, I've caught your man. And the bishop turns and says, oh, no, I gave him that silver. What's more, Jean Valjean, why didn't you take these silver candlesticks as well? They're much more valuable than the other things you took. Javert has to release Valjean, and Mariel makes Jean Valjean promise to become an honest man. When he could have had him hurled back into prison, the bishop took the loss on himself against the policeman. The story goes on to show the incredible contrast between the grace that the bishop showed him and which Jean Valjean lived up to for the rest of the play, even saving Javert's life at one stage, and the bitter hatred and anger of the policeman who had no grace in him whatsoever. That in miniature, is a parable of the grace God shows you and me. God made him Jesus, Paul wrote, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul was to explain this to the churches in what we today call Turkey when he wrote, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those born under the law that they might receive the full right of sons. That's the story of Christmas. A little earlier in John chapter 1, we read, He came unto his own, the Jews, and his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh, full of grace and truth. Much has been made this year, not surprisingly, of the amazing and unique stories of the truce and truces that took place 
in the trenches on the Somme at Christmas a hundred years ago. I was going to say, hands up anyone who was there, but that would be a bit unkind. But two years later, my dad was on the same battlefield, having come from Gallipoli. He was a stretcher bearer. And at the other end of his stretcher was another corporal whose name was Woods. And my dad and Woods would go in right into where there was the heaviest shelling and bring back severely injured people to the medical posts, which were a little further behind the lines. And one day the Germans had the effrontery to throw a shell which landed too close to my father and Woods, and Woods got severely injured. Dad had to carry Woods and the patient and the stretcher back to the first aid post. I said, why did you worry about the stretcher? And he said, well, I'd have been on a charge if I'd come back without the stretcher. Woods was injured badly enough to be casivacked in a troop ship from the North French coast back to Liverpool, his home area, and hospitalization in England. Woods and young Gray had written a soldier's diary together. It's rather boring, actually, because it didn't tell you what they thought, just the various maneuvers and marches and, and so on. And Dad said, do you want to take it home and I'll start another one? And when you've sent it to your mother, send it to my mother in Manchester. And it never, ever reached my paternal grandmother. 1947, a Christian friend of ours in the church where we worshipped in Eastbourne told my father that he had a whole amount of First World War memorabilia had come down to Eastbourne. Would Norman Gray like to go and have a look at it? Well, my dad forgot about it for several weeks and then one day had time to spare, was passing in and went into the shop and had a look at this stuff. And amongst it there was a, second, a First World War soldier's diary and as he opened it up, it was his. And Mr. Walkley, my father's friend, said, Oh, Mr. Gray, they didn't use Christian names in those days. Mr. Gray, take it, have it, please, with my blessing. And dad said, No. I'll buy it back. And he paid half a guinea, ten shillings and sixpence. And Dad used to use it in preaching. He said, I wrote it. I lost it. I bought it back. My dear, wonderful sister has lost it, or I would have been able to hold it up for you this morning. Dad used to say, that's what God did for me. The Word became flesh, full of grace and truth. I don't know the truth about you, and I have to look you in the eyes and say, I'm very glad you don't know the truth about me. He does. And in Romans 5, verse 8, we read, while we were still sinners, God introduced his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the story of the love of God at Christmas. 
Wendy and I have a Graham Kendrick tape of all sorts of songs. And one of them is called Thorns in the Straw. And it tells the imaginary story of Mary looking down on the major. Did she see thorns in the straw? Was life always going to be so bitter and so sweet? A few Sundays ago, Wendy and I were in that church next door to BBC House, and the title of the sermon, just one of the Christmas carol services, What Really Happened in Bethlehem? O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. At one level, that is unadulterated rubbish. Because not long after Jesus was born, Maybe dozens of babies were slaughtered while Jesus, his stepfather, and his mother were away in Egypt. So bitter and so sweet. Mary was told when she took Jesus to the temple that a sword will pierce your own soul also. How did she feel? when she stood at the foot of the cross and watched her son die. And he did it for you. That's why the Word became flesh. We're going to have a few moments of quiet and reflection. And then we're going to sing one of the very best and well-known carols. And I noticed at the earlier service, it puts four verses. Mary, are we singing three or four? Four. And just before the fourth verse, it says, on Christmas Day only, because it says, born this happy morning. I'm hoping we've changed the words to born that happy morning. Let's just be quiet for a few moments together. Father God in heaven, we thank you that Jesus became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. But one day he will have the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. We bow and worship as we sing this carol now. Lord, lead us in our worship, we pray. Amen.